0: Welcome into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's lives are your host, Evan Sider, and joined my co host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Saturday. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Clean14. And you can also follow our Locked On Suns tour page we have already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support is very much appreciated, as always. And we are it's finally draft week, everybody. So we're really pleased to bring back on a usual frequent guest around this time of year. We had him on last time during the season. Former host of Locked On Suns, we're going to keep saying that till till the end here because we he passed the ton over to us. But Kellen Olson, the beat writer or the Phoenix Suns reporter for Arizona Sports, I do that, call
1: I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I don't really have an official title. It's weird. Don't worry about it. That's the that's the title I care about most, though. Former Locked On Suns co- host, yeah. you know, it means a lot.
0: Hey, yeah, exactly. That's that's what you got to put in the bylines. But it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this week, Kellen. We're hearing a lot of rumors flying around. A lot of Interesting stuff related to the Phoenix Suns. But I wanted to ask you just a general Suns question before we get started, just because we see all these reports about DeAndre Hunter. We see all these reports about Kobe White. Just compared to like the last front office Ryan McDonough, I like definitely under James Jones and Jeff Bauer, this regime is very much tight lipped and very much um, really keen to themselves close to the vest, so to say. Do you agree with that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so to a certain extent. I mean, the big change obviously is draft workouts. We're not even, we had, three days of them and that was it and we're not even getting um we're not even getting like the guys that are in the range really at all of number six which to me at, at most of the teams are having them you saw I mean the Lakers are the Lakers obviously but they had one with Jared Culver for example and Garland and so on so I think the Suns not really doing that is is kind of kind of strange and, and not really secretive because I don't really think the workouts stick to anything of course they didn't even work out McHale Bridges last year and they apparently were super high on him and traded for him, obviously. McDonough always had a reputation for me, at least, as McNinja. That's what I called him on Twitter because whenever he would make moves, it would seemingly come out of nowhere. But with that b- being said, I think what the period we're talking about right now, right, which is like the two weeks before the draft when things start to come in, things aren't really starting to come in on the Sun side really at all that much. um Gambo's really been the only one to really have that much, and it really hasn't even been that much at all. And compared to the McDonough regime, that's where we saw more info or like the traditional amount of info come in. and. I guess that's a good thing. I don't really know how to feel about it. It, it sucks from our end, obviously, but I, I don't really know how to like uh, analyze it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I feel
0: on that. It's just an interesting change from from the past years of Brennan. What what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I wrote about it a little bit. I think like it takes a bit to know what the purpose of it is, or if there is a purpose, or if it's just kind of the way that James Jones is going to operate. And so I think that's why it's been tough to read um, as far as why it's happening. Maybe he's just not the type of guy who I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear to say he's not as buddy buddy with the media as most or other GMs around the league are. He hasn't been on the job as long. So there's a lot of factors and maybe some of it is trying to intentionally be a little bit manipulative where, you know, teams won't know what's coming. And and that obviously, as Kellen said, like that's not great for us. But Obviously, if it comes up and the Suns are able to pull something off that they get a great value on, it'll be clearly worth it. So it's it has made this time of year far more quiet, but it could just make the June 30th and this Thursday up at the draft even crazier because we really don't know what to expect. But um, we want to talk about the Anthony Davis trade a little bit here first Not really something that came out of nowhere, something that was kind of sitting in plain sight for the past four or so months. But Evan, we haven't had a chance really to talk about it like off the air or obviously on a podcast, seeing as how it happened this weekend. But what was your reaction when the the table kind of was set with the full package far heavier on draft picks than I think anyone would have guessed even back in February?
0: When I first saw the Woj tweet, I had Woj on the notification right where I went to camp. I thought, I saw Lonzo Ball branding your number four pick. I thought, okay, the Lakers did a pretty good job here. But then later on in the day, we found out more and more about the protections, about the pick swaps. The, the Pelicans pretty much own the Lakers draft for the next five to seven years. And that's a pretty pricely, really, cost, in my opinion, because you just see, especially the Brooklyn Nets, when I went with them, obviously, different situation, different type of player with Anthony Davis, like a Kevin Garnett. But I, I, just, I really don't know like how you pay that much of a price. It just seems like they're bidding against themselves. Maybe David Griffin was leveraging against the Lakers here a little because they were pretty desperate. But it, it really just seems like a, really a win-win here. The Lakers are going to be title contenders for the next two or three years, but the Pelicans, I mean, if Zion stays our long-term, they're set to be a, one of the most loaded teams in the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, in, in addition to trading three draft picks, they're also – going to swap a pick in 2023 and they have some protections in there that like you said really make it complicated for the Lakers to do much of anything in the way of trading draft picks for at least the next five or six years that's something I never thought we would see again after the Nets trade and how much we've all made fun of that one but I mean there are two Suns angles to this right so we thought maybe there was a chance that they got involved especially as it became. Publicized that Lonzo ball was not necessarily somebody that the Pelicans wanted. Although I kind of liked the fit there. Maybe it was his dad. Maybe it was the injury concerns. Maybe it was that he's a little closer to getting paid than the Pelicans would like. I don't know what it was, but it seemed like the Suns might be in on that. It seemed like, um, you know, they might be able to benefit in some way from, from the draft picks ahead of them moving, The second thing kind of did happen because now the Pelicans are in control of the fourth pick. That'll change the kind of cemented draft order that we all expected. Kellen, what is your reaction to that part of it? The idea that, you know, when the Lakers had the fourth pick, it felt like they were just going to take Darius Garland. Now things are a little different.
1: Yeah, they're way different. Um, I'm still trying to process Gavoni saying that the Cavaliers should just draft like based on value at five with Darius Garland when he's like kind of, it obviously him and Colin Sexton are different players, but like their player archetype is like these scoring guards who are trying to be point guards. They're kind of the same exact player. And Gavoni right now has Garland going five to the calves. And that's just doesn't really make sense to me at all. And I'm trying to like figure out, I'm still trying to process what it, what exactly he, she's trying to say. So they should draft like two of the exact type same of players who like can't really play together when they have like nothing on their roster, pretty much like their roster is so barren. But I think, the most interesting thing is going to be if the team – it feels like if the team trades up to number four, I wonder what the reasoning is behind the team getting that draft pick because I think it can go a couple of ways. I think a team can get traded in – the team that acquires that pick could just be getting it for giving up a superstar and that's – or not a superstar, but Bradley Beal obviously a name that everyone's been floating on Twitter the past 24 hours and makes sense for them to go after potentially – um and and that would be more so like if the Wizards got the pick they would just be drafting uh just because they're at fourth and they got the pick but there could also be a situation where a team from the mid-lottery or further back trades up because they're specifically targeting a player whether it's Jared Culver or whether it's Darius Garland and I think that sort of unknown has made the draft a little bit more unpredictable than we thought it was going to be I actually initially when this happened I was like oh okay like Culver's gonna go four and then a point guard's not going to go 5 and then it's going to be Garland or White for the Suns. So this is actually super predictable. But now I think based on who they trade the pick to, I don't even think it could be it could be Culver, it could be White, it could be Garland. It's are you guys surprised by the amount of we're going to get into this, I guess, but the amount of Kobe White like top 5 hype we're hearing, it's just I I don't understand. I just cannot understand.
0: No. Yeah. I don't really understand either. I have nine on my board. I think you guys have them lower than me, but I, I think overall just with Kobe white, he's a guy who's six foot five. He doesn't have a good length at all. He has just, just a six foot five wingspan. I, I don't know if you felt polar fall or not Kellen on Twitter. He always talks about Kobe white is like torso is like really like small for a guy, his size and stuff. Like his dimensions are pretty bad for a point guard. It just seemed like everything there outside of shooting is just really up in the air with Kobe white. And, and and with me, it's if you do take a Kobe White at six, you're betting on player development, Monty Williams and James Jones. But I really don't understand why you go Kobe White. And also we'll get into obviously this in the next semi year. But why would you go Kobe White over names like D'Angelo Russell or so to say outside just maybe the rookie contract scale over a max contract? What do you think, Brennan?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think even setting aside the Suns part of it, like I just don't quite understand how this guy has risen to this level where Knowing that Jarrett Culver is likely to be on the board there, DeAndre Hunter, somebody who, in my opinion, has a, a higher pedigree at, at the very least, somebody that I would expect to be more highly coveted than Kobe White, just in general, um, on on more teams' draft boards, I would think Hunter would be higher. It doesn't seem like that's coming uh, to fruition at all, though. It really seems like White, a guy who was, you know, a fringe first rounder back in you know September when we were doing our first set of mock drafts and just kind of thinking about the draft for the first time. Now he's going to be a guy that some team wants to trade up for to pick fourth overall that it would surprise me. I think I'll kind of believe that when I see it, Uh, it just, it would be of all of the players, even considering that it's a weak class, I can't really wrap my mind around him being so valuable or interesting or, you know, a guy that you want to bet on just getting mountains better. I don't understand really any angle where he, quite makes sense in that way and then yeah well we will get into the Sun side of it and I think maybe it makes a little bit even less sense for the Sun specifically but not a guy that I would make a big bet on did you guys either of you guys really think kind of pivoting back to the Lonzo angle on this how real did that ever feel because it felt like LeVar coming on the radio over where you work Kellen was kind of the fuel to the fire it never felt like it got actually all that close
1: I think the Suns were not as interested in Lonzo as we even came close to getting interested in Lonzo. I just think they, it seems to me my inclination from everything that we've been told and I've been hearing is that they are very set on a specific type of point guard. And if you just don't check a box that they're looking for, then they they are going to pass on you, which kind of blows my mind. Cause I, I mean, we'll talk about D'Angelo Russell here. I'm I'm the one like ruining the future segments. I'm sorry. I'm getting into the names early, but D'Angelo Russell is maybe not a guy they want because he's going to be too dominant of a scorer. He's going to have the need to have the ball too much. It's like, God damn, man. He's just a really good basketball player. Like, I don't know if he's really good actually, but I know he's at, he's at least good and he's a good point guard. And at this point, I, I understand the Lonzo thing from a couple different angles because he's his defense has been hyped in the Lakers' Twitter machine to a certain extent, where I think he's good, but I don't know if he's great. He could be great, but I don't know if he's certainly great right now. I, I He could be. I just don't know. And then the passing is is what the passing is at this point, and then there's really not much else besides that. So I can understand why the Suns would be apprehensive at it, but with that being said, they have to be in an opportunistic mindset, and that kind of guy coming up just it made too much sense from that but the biggest question of course was if new orleans wanted him and it kind of seemed like they wouldn't want him and now it turns out they do want him unless that's bait by david griffin to make teams think that they wouldn't sell low on him and he actually still wants to move along so i have to answer your question i have no idea everyone's been asking me lonzo d'angelo russell Tobias Harris like all this crap for the past five or six months and I say crap because it's it's just like speculation really but sometimes you can have a feeling based on what you've been around the team all three of us talk about it so much that we should have a good feel by now for what they're going to do. I don't have any idea. I just don't know. (laughs) Not a clue.
2: Yeah. It seems like if you're kind of wondering what box Lonzo doesn't check, it's the shooting part, right? I think they really, they really want somebody who's going to be able to space the floor. And I think that they, one positive to look at is I think, you know, what that indicates to me is that they, they being probably James Jones and Monty Williams are willing and eager to, to push Booker onto the ball a little bit more. And that's good because I think we all have wanted to see that. So from that perspective, if, if that's the reason you said Lon- you thought Lonzo is not going to work here, then I guess I understand it. But I do kind of come back to the same place as you, which is this is a 19 win team and passing up on somebody because they happen to not check one of your preordained boxes um, and, ha- and are probably overall like more talented and have a higher ceiling than the other options. It, it is a frustrating way, but um, I think it kind of contributes to all the things we're talking about, which is just kind of a lack of understanding at this point in time of really what the vision is. And I think we'll see a lot more of it on Thursday, but right now it is kind of hard to figure out quite what it is. What did you make of Lonzo ending up in new Orleans after all Evan?
0: I think for me, I was just happy for Lonzo because I'm a, I'm a Lonzo fan. He's going to be a good player when in the right system and with him and Zion it's going to be so much fun to watch. But I think from, from the angle of of Lonzo, I think the Suns, like Kellen mentioned there, it just seems like they were never really interested in the very beginning, which kind of surprised me just because I thought he fits a little bit. you they, They're obviously prioritizing shooting there. So Lonzo, if you're shooting stuff, 50% from the free throw in there, you're, I don't think you're ever going to be a shooter. So I, I think they obviously just, like Kellen said, they prioritize the type and they, if you don't check those boxes, you're not going to be able to really join the Suns, I guess. And we'll sort to see how it goes from there. But I wanted to ask Kellen a quick question. He wrote a story on this actually a couple of days ago for Arizona sports after the Anthony Davis trade happened, so it was yesterday. So I wanted to ask you this, Kellen, with, Kel, or excuse me, with overall you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, you have this crazy offseason coming up, now with Anthony Davis and the trade happening. What do you think that means for the Phoenix Suns? Because obviously Davis is joining a Pacific Division with the Lakers now, and if Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers, I think even worse for the Suns as well. Just what do you think that means for the Suns in the next two, or three, or four years?
1: Yeah, yeah, I want to talk about that um in, in a second. I think I think it's important before we move off Lonzo completely just to establish that he hasn't been a good point guard in the league yet. So I think it's okay for the Suns to be picky about that specifically sure. more than anything. We don't know if he's good yet, and I think there's a lot of clear signs that he is going to be good and if you play him next to it, the right type of player, he will be he could almost certainly be good and that's why it's so frustrating cuz Booker's clearly that guy. And the other thing is, are the Suns low key Danny Aingeing this? Where Danny Ainge is looking at all these superstars and all these assets, not really trading anything, and the Suns are just going to do this with point guard, where they just keep being too picky about who they're going to sign. I just, I need a point guard that's good to be on this team before I can rationally like start to believe in what they're doing. It's it's still blowing my mind because we talk about the Lonzo thing, and D'Angelo could be the next one as well. But back to what you were uh, asking about, Evan, I think that. What's going to start happening now, and the piece was really interesting to me because you never know how people are going to react to things like that where you're just not necessarily creating your own idea, but just kind of saying, well, believe it or not, this thing way up here matters for the teams way down here. And people are like, what do you mean? They're not going to sign Kyrie Irving now? And and the idea more so is just that the competitive landscaping for agency and the trade market is going to go way up now because there are going to be teams in the middle or the upper middle of the league they now think they're a move or two or three away from really contending. And that can even trickle down to the point where a team is short on point guard and they need Patrick Beverly, or they're short on power forward and they're getting Thaddeus Young. So if you're really trying to overpay Thaddeus Young and get him to come to Phoenix, now he's looking at an offer from a team like Boston or Indiana or Golden State, offering him just fair money, but at the same time, it's fair money on a really good organization and a great team that could go win a title, as opposed to the Suns where he would make more money and maybe be a part of something growing from the bottom. But it would just he would not be able to compete really for a couple of years, and that, and that's going to be the big divide here. Is that I don't think they're really going to have a, I don't really see a Paul Millsap uh, Atlanta Hawks signing kind of happen. You guys remember when Paul Millsap was in one of those crazy free agency classes, and then the Hawks got him for like two years and eighteen million or whatever, and they just kind of yeah. stuck it in there. I don't see the Suns being able to pull off anything like that with the way things are going to change now because I think all those teams could look at the Warriors and say, well, how do we match up with the Warriors? Can we beat the Warriors? Should we make this move and go into the luxury tax because of the Warriors? There are no Warriors anymore. Like when LeBron and AD came together, we didn't have to say, well, how do they match up with the Warriors? It doesn't even matter anymore. They're better than the Warriors right now. So it, I think that that whole thing is going to trickle down to the Suns much more than we think, and I think it could be an even quieter couple of weeks for them because of that and the fact that they're being so goddamn picky, like I said a couple of minutes ago.
2: Yeah, I think uh maybe this is a good time to take a break and then come back and get into the D'Angelo Russell thing a little bit more and then kind of talk about where we do think the Suns might go as a result of the bigger picture changes going on because we've been hinting at, at Russell and I know people Fans, at least the ones that I've seen, pretty much 100% are interested in that guy. So before we do that, though, I want to remind you guys to listen over to the Locked On NBA mock draft. We had our first three episodes, I believe, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, David Locke and I hosting that show with Jeremy Wu of SI.com, Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy, breaking it down from their respective angles, and the local guys kind of walking you through the picks. I hope you guys listened to the first day when Evan and I made a little bit of a surprise pick at number six, but we have it going on Monday and Tuesday as well to finish things off with picks. I believe it's going to like 18 to 30 coming up, and then you are all set after Tuesday to uh, get ready for the real thing on Thursday. So go over to Locked On NBA. That's where that show is, and check out our Locked On NBA Mock Draft
0: I also want to tell you guys really quickly to play on your smart device. You can also, when you're driving to work or you're on the way home or around town, if you're in Phoenix driving around, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Suns. We'll be right there with you for the drive home. All righty, Kel. We're going to dive in, I guess, to the D'Angelo Russell stuff because it's really heating up over the last 48 hours. We've had two reports now from SNY, from Ian Begley, and also Anthony Puccio of Nets Daily, who's pretty sourced in there with the Nets. They both said that, Kyrie is pretty much a lock to go to Brooklyn, which means that D'Angelo Russell is going to be leading Brooklyn here very soon, probably unrestricted now at this point, not going to be a restricted free agent. And I know a lot of Suns are clamoring for D'Angelo Russell. It's going to take multiple moves for the Suns to even create the cap space. But what's your thoughts on the Nets doing that and actually
1: what would happen with the Suns maybe being a team involved there? Oh, I, th- I think the Nets are psychos. I would keep Kyrie Irving away from my team as much as possible. If it, you, what do you, what are you doing taking the fun, scrappy upstart six seed that's young and going to develop and adding Kyrie Irving to that? Like after what we've seen him do the past two years, just do do not do that. It, the Celtics made it clear that that kind of ruined them to a certain extent. Like I don't, I'm not trying to really come on here and be. Kyrie Irving is a team cancer type of person, but it's specifically to their situation, I would just pay D'Lo and stay away from that and try and pay someone else. But there certainly seems to be some sort of allure with Kyrie and their organization and just getting that star. But but doing it at the point where D'Lo is, it's of course you'd rather pay Kyrie than D'Lo. I guess that's kind of an argument you can make. But at the same time, I just I just think it's nuts. I would I would never do that. D'Lo is fascinating to me because he. Maybe has a bit of recency bias going on. I was always clamoring for him to get the hell out of L.A. because it was clearly not working with him. You guys remember when Byron Scott basically tortured him for his rookie year? Like, that's essentially what he was doing to the poor kid. and And just not playing him and then shutting him down in crunch time and just not letting him be the point guard that he needed yeah. to be. He moves to Brooklyn, and then he doesn't really play that well in his first year and goes through the injuries and everything. And then in the first half of this season, he actually really wasn't that great. He was okay. He was fine. But for the type of player we expected, he wasn't that good. And then, of course, he was incredible in the second half of the year. He's an all-star. He had his moments in that Philly series. I think he was on and off. But as a whole, I thought he played pretty decent for his first playoff series. He only shot 35%, of course, which isn't great. But I think there's just it's a tough spot for him to kind of fill in with the type of defensive things that Philly did that almost beat the Toronto Raptors, of course. In Phoenix, I think it goes back to what I was just saying earlier, which is basically He is a good point guard. He can really shoot. Um, I think it's no joke that we maybe the most underrated thing that I've kind of looked at in the past year is guys who shoot on volume. He took almost eight threes a game last year at 37%. There's only about seven, eight, nine guys in the league that do that from my memory. And the fact that he can do that and the fact that he can really pass are two important things to me. Now, is he a good fit next to Devin Booker? I don't really think so, but he's a good point guard who can do a couple of things great. And I think the sun should be targeting that type of guy and not being too picky, like I said. So I would pay him. I would pay him max money to kind of get out of this situation. Now, is he a guy you have to look at like Monty Williams in three or four years and really ask questions if these guys can fit together? Absolutely. Um, But for now, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about winning 30 games, and he's going to really help them do that.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing is we have a lot of questions right now, right? Of course, like you said, uh, neither one of these guys has shown anything close to being an above-average defender. But they're both—they both have size. They both are smart players, and both of them are 23 or under. So it's not like we're having this discussion about you know Kemba Walker at this point. And it's like, should the Suns max Kemba Walker? I think this makes a whole ton more sense than just about anybody. Uh, That would be kind of a, we need to clear cap space and really center our off season around this guy of all those players, you know, Terry Rozier, Ricky Rubio, whoever it is, Russell's clearly better than them and fits better on the the overall kind of trajectory timeline of this team than anyone else. So to me, it's a no brainer. If there's a way to make it happen, you kind of have to.
1: Yeah. And the the one thing I want to mention before uh, Evan kicks in here is the fact that the one thing that I've been concerned about and how I was having panic attacks on our podcast for the first six weeks of the season when it was clear that this was going to be another season of under 25 wins and it was even worse was just Booker getting upset and potentially wanting to leave and I think if there's one logical move that they can make even I want to say like in the next year it's it's getting Russell in terms of keeping him happy because of course they're boys and everything, but. You bring in his boy, who's also good at point guard, and they're going to start winning together. And I don't see how he could potentially get upset in that whole build up, even if it is still going to be a build up, and they're probably not going to win more than thirty games or threaten for thirty five, maybe with D'Lo, but nothing too crazy. Like it's still going to take time. But I think he would be Booker would be more patient with that because of the relationship he has with Russell and the fact that that's a logical move that they can make to fix their biggest problem. In my opinion, should really. Matter in this as well with the price tag and the fact that they're probably right. going to have to overpay it.
0: What I'm curious about with Russell and his figure, I mean, they'd have to either stretch Tyler Johnson or trade him, or they have to trade both TJ Warren and Josh Jackson. But the more interesting part of it to me, if they actually did go after DeAndre Russell, is how would kill you fit in here? Because I feel like he's a guy who needs at least 10 to 15 shots per game. Russell and Booker are both high volume shooters. DeAndre needs to be prioritized, I think, as a secondary option to Devin Booker. Do you think Oubre would still fit in here, Kellen, if they did go after Russ? Because that's four guys who are going to need the ball
1: a lot. Oh, that's that's a really good point. When you first said his name, I was like, money. That's the first thing that came to my head. Not even, not even the fit on the court. I think that Ubre can work in around those types of players. Still, I think he can still get the most out of him. It's just his shot volume is going to be down. I think that's okay, but I think it's just more about looking at Mikael Bridges and looking at how well he fits even more. In that situation now because you got even more shots going somewhere else and you just wonder if you should keep Uber in that situation because after all I think and I might get my house burned down while I sleep by saying this but there's all the Valley boys love and I understand everything but at the end of the day Kelly Uber was this random throw in from a disaster dumpster fire situation and if the Suns were to lose him in free agency this year. It wouldn't really hurt them a lot from a from an asset collection perspective, right? Because they didn't. He was Trevor Rees on a one year deal, basically, is what they turned him into. Like it wasn't really that much at all. So from that perspective, it wouldn't hurt to lose him that much. But I will say that I am team keep good players on your team, and he is a good player, and I think I would still keep him. I think he's in the same situation actually as Delo, where you look at him and say even even more now if Delo's here, where you say he's not a not really that great of a fit. But I don't think it it hurts the team too much. I don't know. I'm I want to hear like another opinion on this. So, Brendan, your thoughts?
2: I am so fascinated about Kelly Oubre. Uh, just in general, I try to listen and and think about it whenever like a national p- person or some somebody that covers another team talks about him because it feels like we all watched the impact that Oubre had here, and I don't even want to say overvalued him because I think that's unfair. Like we don't even know what he's going to get paid. So I don't know whether it's overvalue, undervalue or or whatever, but it certainly feels like everyone else is much lower than the folks who watched the impact that he had on this team this season. So I don't know if that group includes James Jones and that will result in bidding against themselves or, you know, prioritizing Oubre over a point card or over an opportunity to get a really good point guard like Russell, or another opportunity that might come around because they just want Ubre so desperately. My hunch is that they wouldn't do that because they only have you know five months with this guy. But it does uh, it does kind of worry me. I think that listening elsewhere around the league and kind of watching how other people view him, like for example, the dunked on guys who. You know, I, I understand Suns fans have qualms with them, but they're pretty pretty good about kind of projecting value on of contracts and salary cap stuff. They said that they feel like, you know, relative to the rest of the league, Ubrey should be making, you know, somewhere between eight and 12 annually. And I feel like we've all been kind of expecting it to come in higher than that. So I hope that the Russell thing doesn't, uh, that Ubrey doesn't get in the way of a bigger, better opportunity. But um, we should probably pivot over to the guys that the Suns might draft because I think, Evan and I at least kind of are operating under the assumption, Kellen, that they might double dip and draft a guard and sign one. So if that's where they're headed, um, where do you fall on the the white versus Garland debate? Because it's feeling more likely as we hit on with the last segment that both of those guys are there at six.
1: Yeah, it seems like it could happen. Uh, I wrote about this on Friday on ArizonaSports.com and just comparing them together. And I think the point that I came to at the end is they're basically the same type of player archetype. They're scoring point guards who don't really know how to play point guard yet. And I I hesitate to say that confidently because we just haven't seen enough of Garland. And I, I low key hate talking about Garland because I just haven't seen enough of him. And if I would have just had another 15 games of Vanderbilt tape to look at, I'd feel a lot better about just making definitive statements about him as a whole. Like I don't even feel confident in saying he's a great shooter because It was only like four or five games I saw and there's a lot of clips before that and not even clips just games before that where he shows it but I just I just wanted to see more but with that being said I think he is clearly the better prospect. I think his ability to separate from his defender using his handle and burst is far superior to the way White is just a maniac and drives down in a straight line. I think he actually has a pretty decent handle but the way that he operates using these moves he just spins into guys and Bounces off bodies and drives into three or four guys all the time. Where I feel like Garland is a lot more composed and has the rhythm that I wrote about. And I I think Garland can also pull up in different areas a lot more. I didn't see much of Kobe White pulling up from like 20 feet or 18 feet. And I think that's a big skill for a point guard to have. And Garland has that as finishers. I think it's kind of a push on defense. I think White is slightly better, although I'm not really willing to say there's that much there. Uh, To take it back to the whole thing though, I just don't understand the Kobe White thing. I went into when we were getting ready for our draft coverage and outlining and everything and looking like at the names, I said five, Um, Clark, Hunter, Reddish, um, and the two other guys, Culver and Garland. And once everyone started saying Kobe white for like the next couple of days, I was like, I guess we have to include Kobe white. But I honestly wasn't even thinking about him like that. I was just thinking of, of him as a mid to late first round pick. And it turns out everyone else was right in terms of the buzz around him. But I just, I was never looking at him like that. And it sounds like I'm really hypercritical of him, but it's just because I don't view him as this guy who's a top 15 guy even even just like a like a guy you pick at 11 or 12 I would be a little hesitant we're talking about the top five six of the draft it's crazy to me and I'm I'm looking forward to being wrong certainly if the Suns get him or even if the Suns don't get him but again I just I don't really understand it and that makes it really easy for me to say I'd rather have Garland and
0: Brennan we covered this on our prospect debate series last week with Garland and White but for the fans out there who might not have listened, or maybe, where I was getting close here, I feel like it's getting more inevitable that White's the favorite here at number six. So, what do you think, if you are in the Suns for office, I mean, how how would you be sold on the fact that Kobe White's your favorite there? Because, like Kellen said, when I watch him, I don't really see him as a top option at six. What do you think maybe they see that we don't?
2: I think the shooting we talked about with Ball, and uh, I mean, obviously, Garland's a great shooter, but... Uh, we know that Garland's strength is his his pull-up shooting, his ability to create space, create a good shot for himself. Maybe just that type of guy just is, doesn't appeal to them. Maybe that's kind of one of the boxes we were talking about. They need somebody who is going to be happy and effective and efficient off the ball on offense, and they don't necessarily feel like it's going to work. Maybe that would explain Potentially, the fact that they haven't really directly been linked to Russell in any big way either. He's a very similar player stylistically to Garland. Uh, White was awesome off the catch because he just played with an awesome team. That North Carolina team was incredibly fun to watch, had a lot of veterans. He was able to come along slowly over the course of the year as he learned the point guard spot. So, all those things I think. Are appealing. You you can talk yourself into the fact that he's going to continue to get better and make those reads, become a better passer, you know, way better decision maker. You have to hope, especially under a guy like Monty Williams, who's already preaching just kind of consistency and culture and and basics, uh, all those things. I think you can talk yourself into. But I think from a talent perspective, just like what we saw, the skills that matter more in the NBA. Um, kind of a general feel for the game and control of the game that you want from a point guard all those things to me point in Garland's direction pretty firmly
1: and were you guys doing the thing with North Carolina where you were watching for Nasir Little and it did at any point Kobe White really pop for you as an NBA guy I just never had that thought either that's the thing I just can't wrap my head around it I'm watching Nasir Little be an idiot and he's (laughs) I don't like him either as you can tell by me calling him an idiot but I never watched Kobe White and was like, you know, Kobe White might be the better prospect on this team. I never even thought like that far about him.
2: I don't think uh, White, I never thought White was necessarily better than Little. Although I think I might actually have White ahead of him slightly just because I can't talk myself into Little after so much evidence on the other side of it. But they're really close for me. I don't think I ever had an idea like this guy is just firmly the best prospect on this team, which maybe speaks to me uh, overthinking it and maybe buying into just what everyone else sees a little too much with White, but I did kind of feel like it, it surprised me that we weren't talking about him because you do just look at him and it feels like a guy that big who can, who's fast can shoot, like seems like somebody who should get it, be getting NBA buzz, and it took a while for him, which makes it even more surprising. This wasn't even somebody until really conference play that was getting much attention.
0: Yeah, he was surprisingly when you look at his numbers, like we were talking about last week, just inconsistencies for non-conference play and conference play. That's really where he peaked at shooting thirty-eight and a half percent on seven and a half attempts from three. Then it really in the non-conference play and the conference tournament, he really goes back down to earth and struggles again. So he's just a really in and out prospect. I really don't know really how to grade him. So, I mean, Kellen from your point of view, maybe as a comp, what do you see as far as a guy like Kobe white? Because for me and Brennan, we were thinking maybe a Lou Williams type, but is that worth it at number six?
1: No, not at all. And I, I wrote about when I wrote about my big board a, a couple months ago and just kinda said what he was, it's it's the point guard prospect who's clearly more of like a heat check scoring guard. That's what I just saw him as. So I mean, that was back then too, before there was this top five, top 10 hype and him like clearly being a point guard hype. And I just thought he was more of just a guard actually. Cause he, he kind of has a little bit of size to play at the two. I guess you could talk yourself into it maybe, but yeah, I made, I made the Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, but the issue there is if you're just like 80% as good as those guys, you're maybe not even in the league, you're Jordan Crawford or whatever. Right. So I, I don't really see a comp for him and, and it's just, I think the thing with him that is so fascinating to me is there's clearly – we've heard his name be buzzed about not only for the Suns, but just I, I think Gavoni had it down that New Orleans is going to consider him at four. And there's clearly something in like the NBA scouting realm here that we're not realizing. like It's not as simple as Orlando's drafting Wesley Owundu and Mo Bamba because they have long arms. you know There's clearly some intangible way – is it as simple as Garland's like a big point guard and they love big point guards who are fast. Like I just, again, I, there's something we're clearly missing and whether that's right or wrong with what we're missing, I think it's fascinating. And I, I think potential wise you could actually sell me on a scoring guard being in a three guard rotation with Booker and a combo guard and like having a combo guard, who's more like Lonzo, for example, passing and defense. And then you have this other guard who comes in, who's much more of just an all out scorer and then you have Booker, who's a balance of, of both of those guys in terms of playmaking and scoring for himself. Like, that makes sense to me. So so maybe that's how they envision it, as White is, like, the perfect third guard in this realm where they have the veteran point guard come in. But that's a really flawed way of thinking about it with a number six pick when you should be thinking long-term, obviously, and not short-term. I guess that's the way I talk myself into Kobe White, is looking at him as a first- and second-year player, which probably isn't a good thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. to me, to me... Tyler Johnson might be somewhat of a comp. Like if, if Kobe plays a little bit harder and a little bit smarter, I think he, he kind of starts to look a little bit like Tyler Johnson. And we obviously know they had some degree of belief that Johnson was going to be a, a decent fit with Booker. And he, he was, I mean, he helped them win some games when their season was kind of, uh, it could have been a lot uglier. And they went on that run that we all had fun watching in February. Maybe that's what it is. We already saw them target Johnson I don't really think that they're that similar because I think it sometimes we overestimate how hard it is to just feel and and be like a couple steps ahead of the game the way that good guards are. We think that that can just come with time and sometimes it doesn't, but that would be I think something for me where if if White's a little smarter especially on defense, doesn't take crazy shots and just kind of plays with energy all the time, especially if he's coming off the bench, that's a little easier to do that would be a way that I could see him adding value and, and not probably being worth number six pick, but potentially like a high-end sixth man sometimes starter type of guy. Uh, we should mention, too, the other thing we hinted at in the first segment. The Suns seem to not have done the diligence that others have with Garland, having not gone to Los Angeles to watch him work out as he rehabs his meniscus, meniscus injury. Uh, so that obviously complicates things. As we said before, hard to tell what the Suns are thinking or doing because we've heard so little, but the fact that they didn't even make the trip out there uh, at at least seems to, again, kind of put White in the driver's seat here.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like if we had to pay a favor right now, if Culver's off the board, I think Kobe White is going to be the pick. Whether we view that as positive or negative or not, it's to be seen. It's just going to be interesting, again, just if they do take Kobe White's six, how they're going to sell that to the fan base just because I feel like He's a guy's going to take minimum two or three years to develop here. But before we go on to our final segment here, I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked On NBA show. Like Brendan mentioned earlier, we're doing the Locked in NBA mock draft right now. It's finishing up this week. But if you want to listen in throughout the offseason, we're not stopping anytime soon on Locked On Network. We're doing all of the offseason stuff, free ANC, draft, trades, anything you want to hear about the NBA, Locked On NBA has a card for you. So go over on Stitcher, on Apple iTunes, wherever you want to find your podcast and type in Locked On NBA and, and give them a five-star review.
2: Alrighty. So let's just kind of preview things one last time. I mean, I know the way that this is going to work is things will change. We're recording this on a Sunday. By the time this goes up on Monday morning, things might be different. It's almost impossible to tell. Um, But Evan, what is kind of the, the top line thing? So Anthony Davis is gone. That was the biggest domino to fall. But from a Suns perspective or just an overall draft perspective, like where's your head at? What's the thing you are expecting to happen next? What's kind of the inflection point where if this happens, then, you know, this will happen. What do you think is what people should be looking out for before Thursday?
1: I think
0: for me, it's Josh Jackson or T.J. Warren, because I feel like one of those guys is going to have to be dealt with in the next few days, or maybe it's before July 1st or June 30th, because if they really want to add a point guard and a power forward for a free agency, I start caliber one at that. They have to open up more cash space, 10 million is going to cut it, especially after you get the number six overall pick in his salary in there. I, I feel like maybe on draft night, I know Gambo was talking about in the air council, so you might know more about this, but did you get the feeling from what Gambo was saying that, that the Suns might be more willing to just trade off of Warren and Jackson just for salary? Like, let's say T.J. Warren and the Utah Jazz like make a, make a trade for him with a 53rd 50, 50 overall pick against Allen cheated in there, for example.
1: Yeah, I haven't really gotten a feel for how they feel based off what he's been saying, but I just think logically with the amount of – holes that they have to fill I think the thing that I realized doing the second round and looking at those guys is that the Suns could really use like a four or five in this draft and whether that's a 32 or six or they trade back from six and get Brandon Clark or Grant Williams or whoever it is at at four or five because I obviously they have DeAndre Aiden but they have no one at the four like they, they don't have a power forward right now and even if they brought back Dragan Bender or whatever I don't think he's he's just not really a natural four man and then they still need a backup five. Hopefully, that can be Rashawn Holmes and they bring him back, then they'll feel way better about this. But they still have some holes on the roster beyond point guard that they need to take care of. I think one of the biggest problems is they have a hole at point guard, but they still have D'Anthony Melton and Elliot Koval. Like they already have players there and Tyler Johnson. They already have players there on the roster, but they don't really figure into what they're going to do next year. And that's the biggest crap they have to sort through is not only in the wing log jam, but those guys and Figuring out, okay, well, if we sign Darren Collison and we draft Kobe White, what does that mean for De'Anthony Melanilli? It probably means you're trading one of them, maybe both of them. And I think that that's something that they should address on draft night if they can, or right before free agency, obviously, because there's some work that they have to do. They they have to get a point guard. They have to get something at the four. They can't just they can't just not they can't just play T.J. Warren there and Josh Jackson there the whole season. You know, they have to bring in someone. Even if they bring back and Bender, they need to add another body there. So I, I think there's just a lot of work that has to be done. And I think that we're looking at this through a certain lens where people might think we're being too harsh on them and it's just too high of expectations for them to get all this done. But I've just been saying for months, like this is a really hard offseason for James Jones to execute. It's going to be difficult. But we're going to sit here with our check with our check boxes out like they have for their point guard. We're going to be sitting here and being like, okay, did they get the point guard? Did they get the power forward yet? Did they get a backup five? did they clear the cap space and and all these types of things that they have to get done. I think that's just the overarching thing over this is how much of that can they actually get done?
2: Yeah, I would say mine is a little bit more of a specific thing when it comes to the draft touching on, I guess, elements of what both of you got at, but just two guys that, that I like a lot are Brandon Clark and Grant Williams, not just them, but, um, there's a lot of versatile three, four, fives in this class that I think the Suns could really use. And there are so such specific types of franchises that I think are willing to bet on those types of players and have a history of developing and and being a good landing spot for those types of players that I don't even know if the Suns count as one of those at this point, because we don't really know what the the makeup of this roster wants to be at this point. But like Williams, Clark, you know, even just to throw out names like Eric Pascal, Nas Reed, there's just a lot of those types of guys that I think are kind of exactly what we're talking about. Maybe they're not going to play right away, but just to address that position um, and just have an answer for it where last year, the, the minute Ryan Anderson looked shot, there was just nothing there was no answer. They didn't prepare for that possibility. And You can't enter a season where you don't at least have depth and a, at least somewhat of a plan for every spot on your roster, kind of like what Kellen was saying. But I think in particular with this class, there's actually quite a few guys that, that can fill that hole. So it's a, it's a good class to be trying to address that problem in, I think.
0: I think an interesting question we should ask as well is whether the Suns are going to stay at 6 or not because obviously – we don't know what's going to happen within the Suns for office right now. They're extremely tight-lipped, and they seem like they, they there's really a lot of directions they can go in on draft night. So I'll start off with Brendan here. What do you think is the possibility as we get closer? We're the week of the draft now. Do you think the Suns are just going to stay on the clock at 6 and take Kobe White, or do you think there's a possibility that if White's not there or if Culver's not there, they try to trade back?
2: Yeah, that's a good call on you to bring that up, because just about every day there's a contradictory report about if that pick is even available. (laughs) I I don't even think I can guess at this point. I would say um, betting on Gambo's reporting in this particular situation feels a little bit more fair to me that he's been on it for a while and and feels like uh, they're not really considering that many players with that pick. There's really no one that it seems like is left that they would be willing to, to deal that pick for. Whereas some of the other national guys are probably hearing it from other teams and um, that can get misconstrued or just kind of be misdirection or whatever. So I tend to believe that they won't make it available or at least that they won't end up trading it. It's everything's available to a degree. Right. But I think considering what we know about how much they seem to like white, we know that they need a guy at that spot. It feels like they will just go ahead and pick between white Culver and Garland and go forward with that guard in their rotation moving forward. And uh, I'm, I think we both have made clear, Evan, that's not really what we would do, but it feels like what they will do at this point.
0: Yeah, it really does seem that's the direction you're going and going. Tell where would you sit on that?
2: Yeah,
1: I think they're going to – I have no reason to believe they won't pick Kobe White White right now just based on everything that we're hearing, and I think the biggest alarm for me was what I mentioned earlier, that White has buzz around the league beyond Phoenix because I just – you think maybe it's smokescreen season, right, with what we're hearing about Kobe White and how the Suns love him, and that that was Gambo's pick for their prediction. You think, okay, like maybe that's smoke or whatever, but you see the amount of appeal that he apparently has across the league, and there's a lot of mock draft guys with intel – who are putting him in like this four, five, six, seven range when again, like I just don't even see the top 10 thing. But for me, the thing about this spot has always been that if the Suns are in on one of these three guys and one of those three guys is there, I, I should say one of those two guys because I thought it was only Culver and Garland, but Kobe White's now in this group, I guess, which everyone knows by now by listening. I hate if they're in on these guys, just take them and develop them. That's fine because they're in on the prospect and they really believe in them and they're going to have the right guys around him to help him succeed because they clearly see something specific they need to bring out of that player and with kobe white especially it has to be his point guard skills that they really truly do believe in. and to me if that if that's the guy at six they want to take him that's fine but i think obviously the best option is trading back i think if culver goes at four and i think garland even at that point with garland i would consider trading back because it's just not really that great of a fit and even a fit for developing him here i just like him coming off the bench and kind of sporadically getting point guard minutes to learn how to be a point guard it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense same for white and I think Brandon Clark obviously is a guy to highlight but Nikhil Alexander Walker really hasn't gotten talked about at all my big board's going to be coming out tomorrow morning and I think he's a top 10 guy for the Suns it's they want a combo guard who can shoot according to game and that's literally what he is he's a combo guard who can shoot who's long and can defend two positions works really hard I saw Brandon posting some videos about him so you must have watched a fair bit of him and I just think that he's exactly what they're looking for. I don't think that he's necessarily a guy that they should build around necessarily, but if you want to stick a veteran next to a rookie point guard, I think he's actually perfect because he's exactly the type of skill set you should be wanting to develop. And I think that either him or Clark is the four or five, and more specifically as a four that could be terrific next to DeAndre Ayton. Drafting for fit in that sense and trading down I think makes more sense here because, like I said, Garland and White and even Culver just finding minutes for Culver, I don't don't really know – how you do that with your current roster outlook and give the give these guys a chance to succeed because with Chris and Benner and those guys that was clearly a problem that was associated with this was just their opportunities they, they weren't good but they didn't get opportunities either and that's something I'm worried about with taking those guys that high
0: yeah Brennan what do you think about Nikhil Alexander-Walker I, I know Kellen seems pretty high on him what do you think about Nikhil
2: I, we talked about the boxes, right? I think he checks a lot of them. Uh, I think he his athleticism is a little bit of a concern to me, but there's really no athletic point guard in this class except for John Morant. There's not really much of an athletic, any guard, really, any creator. I guess R.J. Barrett would be in that too. None of the guys that are going to be anywhere near where the Suns are going to be picking. So you are getting down kind of into an area where I, I think it's correct that Trading the pick does seem just like it would be able to fetch you a better player. Like at the end of the day, you just have to value. Do you think the guy you can pick is going to be better, or do you think that somebody you could trade for is going to be better? And uh, simplifying it that way, I, I just don't feel great about many of these of these players. Alexander Walker, I think I'm a little lower on than White, but it's close. And this this draft, as we've said, is is very clogged. What about you, Evan? Though, have you watched much of him? And do you think? He might be a target if they did find a way to trade back.
0: Yeah, he's in like my 13 to 16 range near the end of my lottery just because I think he has all the tools to be a guy like you mentioned, Cullen, maybe like an SGA type of player. But I think with him, it, it's all about fit with him. I think like a place like Detroit makes a lot of sense. I would love to see him with Blake Griffin because I think he'd be able to really impact them right away. But overall, with a guy like Alexander Walker, I think he is a really underrated prospect. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if he does go higher in like that 15 to 14 range. I'm really curious, though, to hear your thoughts on this, Kellen. unless you want to add anything else, Brendan. As far as the assets, we talked about this on the show last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, Brendan, the assets that the Phoenix Suns have in their roster, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren, their first-round picks, the Bucks pick, the young point guards. I feel like We've always been saying, when are the Suns going to push in their chips? When are they going to do that? It, it feels like this is the last time they can really do it, maybe sometime within the next six months or so. Have, have we kind of been overhyping the Suns' assets? I, I feel like at least I have been, to my fall a little bit, overhyping the assets a little bit the last few months. Like, oh, they could, they could get this guy, this X guy for Jackson, Warren, and that. Are they, those guys not hold as much value
1: as we thought we did? Uh, I think that the asset drop-off kind of started to a default when it became clear that Mikel was the third guy in the core and then it became not only is Mikel the third guy in the core but like they shouldn't really move him for anyone unless it's the type of star deal and just keep him because he's the perfect player to play in between the two stars and then when you go after that it's it's exactly that yeah I think it's just a lot more barren than maybe we expected but once we started Looking at it, we did. I, I think more to your point, for me at least, is just the fact that we went from, oh, if if DeMarcus Cousins or Kevin Love or whoever is available three or four years ago, the Suns have one of the best collections of assets to make a run at those guys, and they're just not that team anymore. They're just not unless they're willing to include DeAndre Ayton or Devin Booker or Mikael Bridges in those deals. They're not that team anymore, and, and that to me is more of the thing when a superstar becomes available on the trade market we can say, yeah, the sun should get in on this. But now we're talking about doing some polinka madness and giving up pick swaps and unprotected picks three or four years down the line. So that's what they would have to do because I don't think anyone really wants Josh Jackson. I don't think anyone really wants TJ Warren. And those are like the high-end guys we're talking about. Like, we're not even talking about Melton and akobo because I don't think 25 other NBA teams even watch enough Melton and Okobo to have a take on him, honestly. So I just, uh, yeah, I just don't think there's a lot there. And, and that's fine because the, the top is what matters and they have those three guys.
2: It's super tough. Yeah, it's it's super tough, I think, to to really gauge. I don't think Jackson or Warren have any value at this point. I think that's just the reality. So it's makes this pick, I think that's a good way to close this show, actually, because it makes this pick, if you expect that they at least take a slight jump and are not talking about, we're not talking about a top five pick this time next year, if it's an eighth, ninth, tenth pick, then this is kind of their last their last, you know, organic opportunity to get a top level player. So uh, it makes this a little bit more important, I think, than in other years to figure out what the guy is and how to handle this asset and what to do um, on draft night in general. But yeah, I think that's all I have, Evan.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun week. Callan, I appreciate you coming on today. went a little longer than we thought, but it's, of course, draft week. It's going to be a really exciting time. It's Really, this is going to be one of the more interesting teams to follow on draft night, too, because it's anyone's guess right now what's going to happen, number six overall, more they keep it or trade that pick. So thanks for, again for listening on today's podcast, everybody.